Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, we man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is March the 14th, 2013. This is episode 1089 of the Survival Podcast, and I've got a good one for you today. I've got Jacob Nielsen I'll be bringing on in just a bit. He's a home energy consultant. He's going to talk to us about all types of energy efficiency today from new construction to retrofitting older properties. We're going to talk about SIPs. We're going to talk about ICFs. We're going to talk about earth contact housing. And we're going to talk about what you do when you buy an older house and you think, well, there's nothing I can do. It turns out there's a lot you can do. And it turns out there's a lot of really expensive mistakes you can make that you think are going to give you greater efficiency, and then they don't do anything at all. So we're going to talk about how to avoid that as well today. I'll have Jacob in just a minute. Before we bring him on, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day number one today, JM Bullion. You know, it was important to me that I had a provider for you guys of silver and gold. Even when I knew I was going to be bringing TSP Mint online within a couple months, I went out and found somebody to replace our old gold and silver sponsor because I knew that I was going to do a specific niche type of silver and gold and that there would be a lot of people that still want to buy eagles, that still want to buy generic rounds, that still want to buy other things that, frankly, TSP Mint will never sell. So I went out and I looked for a company, and this is the criteria I put in when I looked for a silver and gold company. A, if something is wrong and I need to take care of it for you, that I can get directly in contact with the owner. That's the type of company I like to have for any of my sponsors. B, that they would be a good company with good fulfillment. C, that they would have competitive pricing. That was I wanted those three things. And, you know, it's kind of hard to find because most of the places with the competitive pricing are big houses like App, AppMex and Monex. And I could probably get them as a sponsor, But the owner of those companies, you know, the owners of those companies, they're not going to talk to me. They don't give a damn. Uh, I'm just some peon to them. But with JM Bullion, I can get directly in touch with the owner and get an answer quick. That's what I'm looking for at a sponsor. That's what I've got in JM Bullion. And get this, their pricing's better than AppMex and Monex. How cool is that? Check them out today, jambullion.com. Next up today, Fortress Defense Consultants. You know... It's, it's one thing to have guns, and it's one thing to have ammo, and it's one thing to assert your Second Amendment rights. And you know what? Most people get enough training with firearms to be safe and be reasonably effective. But if your life's ever on the line, reasonably effective isn't good enough. If you don't train to a high level, what happens is a situation goes down. You know what to do. And maybe a second or two goes by of mental lock between it's happening, I have to respond. That second or two can get you dead. The only way to counter that is with effective and consistent training. You want good firearms training? Get in touch with Frank Sharp Jr. at Fortress Defense Consultants, and they will hook you up with some of the best training you can ever find. And I want to say this to the ladies out there, a little bit intimidated by taking training. I've heard from a lot of females that have gone to Fortress Defense, and I'll tell you what, every one of them raves about how great it was. And, ladies, if you have the husband that's always telling you what you're doing wrong, and all, he might even be right, but he's probably not the best coach. Men, coaching your females in how to shoot, even if you know what you're doing, is generally difficult. You know why? They're tired of listening to you. They have to listen to you about everything. So you get them professional training. And if you go to Frank's training and you go as a husband and wife team, that's great. And the first thing they'll do is take the lady all the way down one end of the line, and they'll take you and put you all the way on the other end of the line and keep you the hell away from each other so the instructors can do their job. They're a great crew, a great team, a great cadre of instructors. And, hey, not only will they teach you how to defend yourself and use your weapons, they'll give you excellent medical training as well if that's what you're looking for. And get this. Let's say you, I can't go to Indiana where Frank is. It's too far. Well, put together a group locally, they'll come to you. You think, I see all this great training. I've been through a lot of basic handgun, basic... I really want this kind of custom training for my group or my team or something like that. Tell them what you want. They'll put it together for you. Whatever you're looking for, you'll find it with Fortress Defense Consultants. Check them out today at FortressDefense.com. Um, I also want to remind you guys about the Walking to Freedom Forum. Uh, we're, we're working on really you know, getting somewhere with that really, really fast. It's amazing how many people have already joined uh, the Walking to Freedom Forum. I'm going to go in right now as I'm doing the uh, intro to today's show and make sure that uh, 
I go ahead and uh, approve anybody that's waiting. But right now, there's over 430 members on the forum already. It's about two or three weeks old. Uh, remember, we have the uh, naughty list being established. I'm going to put up a, a new poll today about how we decide, you know, how many people go on the list. I tried to do it yesterday, and only half of it took, and I was in the middle of an interview. But uh, uh, the naughty list is... Uh, is shaping up exactly the way that we uh, saw fit. Let me give you the top people on the naughty list, top states on the naughty list to uh, to get people to leave. California, 12.3% of the voting. 11.2% uh, for Illinois. 9.9% for Massachusetts. 10.1% uh, for New Jersey. And our friends New York at 12.3%. Everybody else is... Uh, down in the lower range, 7.1% would be, I guess, the guy in sixth place. And that would be our good friends in Connecticut. Um, I'm not sure how big the naughty list is going to be, but gee, the five usual suspects seem like they uh, definitely are going to make the list. This is called disapproval voting, what we're doing to establish the naughty list. Walking to freedom, if you haven't heard it before, this is the basic concept. We put, it, we put together a forum. On that forum, we're doing the foundation right now. Anybody can join the forum. Anybody can vote. You can vote for up to 10 states, but you only have to vote for one if you just want to vote for one. These are the states you think are the worst for liberty and freedom and independence and the worst about managing money and the worst at micromanaging getting the face of their citizens. And then all the other states get to use the free market and say, hey, people in New York, people in California, it sucks there. Move here. Form relationships and help people learn a simple lesson. As difficult as moving sounds. Renting a truck and making some new friends is easier than living in tyranny. It's time for the republic to speak. The last action of a republic is voting with your feet and leaving the bad states for the better states. I'm not saying any of them are perfect. I'm not saying that everybody should come to Texas, though I'd love to have you here if you're a liberty-loving individual. All I'm saying is, if you're living in New Jersey... Pennsylvania ain't great, but it's a hell of a lot better. The Delaware River ain't the Berlin Wall. Head west a little bit, and your life will get better. Maybe you'll keep moving. I mean, I used to live in PA, and, and I'm not going back. Um, there's a reason for that. Uh, I'll make my pitch for Texas, and I get an unfair advantage because I have a microphone uh, at my disposal. But Texas is a great place, folks. We have no state income tax. We have great gun laws. We have freedom-loving individuals, and about 90% of our state is unincorporated. Uh, and that means that unless you live right in the suburbs of Dallas or Houston or San Antonio or Austin, you can pretty much do whatever the hell you want and people leave you alone. There's a lot going for that. You want dry desert land, we got it. You want hill country, we got it. You want mountains, they're desert mountains, but we even got mountains. Uh, you want like dry, cool, even in the, the heat of the summer, there's even some places out in West Texas like that, Marathon. Check out the town of Marathon. You want piney woods and forests, we got it. You want swamps, we got it. You want beaches, we got it. We got it all. We even got our own electrical grid. Now, what I just did, that's what anybody that's proud of their state and wants people to come to their state should be doing at walkingtofreedom.com. The way this is going to work is once the naughty list is established, every other state gets a board like an ambassador's board. And you get to put together whatever you want in your board. You can do it as a team. You can do it as an individual. And when people are interested in moving to, let's say, I don't know, Georgia, they can go to the Georgia board and go, hey, I'm thinking about moving to Georgia. Who lives around this area? What can you tell me about it? This is the kind of work I do. Um, this is what I'm interested in. This is the kind of church I'm looking for. Uh, I'm not in a church. I'm looking for a gun club, whatever it is. And they can find people like them to help them make the best decision for themselves. This is like the Free State Project on steroids. I'm building leads here for the New Hampshire guys to, to, to get people. I want New Hampshire to be one of the premium places to go. Here's the big thing, though. When you leave New York, when you leave Illinois, there's a board for those guys, too. They're not going to like their board, though. It's the goodbye screw-off board. And basically, it's for people that are leaving to leave behind a letter saying where they're going, why they chose that, and why they left. We're going to have tens of thousands of human interest stories about this migration within a year or two. We're going to change the republic by making the republic what it's supposed to be. 50 laboratories, 50 laboratories of liberty, and the laboratories of liberty that have let liberty go to the wayside, Illinois, New York, okay? You know what? They're going to be the places people are leaving. And the people that do the best job of attracting the best and the brightest will improve their states 
and put the system of the republic back to work. That's what this is all about. Last but not least, before I bring Jacob on, I know I'm going kind of long today, but I want to keep you guys abreast of Walking to Freedom. Um, I am running a sale for the Member Support Brigade. Uh, the discount code is Mother Earth, one word, no space. Mother Earth, all lowercase, one word, no space. $10 off your first year of membership. I'm doing that to welcome Mother Earth products to, uh, to the Member Support Brigade. They're giving 12% off all their products. If you buy a lot of food in bulk, that one member uh, benefit alone will probably pay for your membership. This is for new members only or those that are renewing by, if you renew by mail, we can, we can, we can renew you early or, or whatever. If you're paying automatically by PayPal, I can't do it. It won't work with PayPal. It'll create double billing. It's a nightmare. You'll get billed twice. I'll have to fix it. That's, it's not that I'm not willing to offer it. I'd love to let you extend your membership. The system just doesn't work that way. Anyway, so uh, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade, Military Law Enforcement, Peace Corps, Active Duty, and uh, Prior Service, along with first responders like paramedics. Do not use that discount code. Email me before you join. Put service discount in the subject line. You'll get your own special service discount, and it's a better discount, and it applies to recurring billing. So it applies to your renewal next year and the year after, etc. All right, with that wrapped up, I want to go ahead and introduce our special guest today. Again, Mr. Jacob Nielsen. Jacob is a home energy consultant. Um, he helps builders and homeowners build more efficient uh, and effective homes. And he helps uh, homeowners that already have homes fix the ones that are already uh, there. Uh, he's also uh, a consultant on Net Zero Homes, and he's been a certified HERS Raider for more than six years. Holds numerous other uh, certifications, including NAHB, uh, Green Verified, BPI Building Performance Analyst, uh, Building Shell, and Texas Hero Energy Home Auditor. That means he knows what he's talking about. He's here to talk with us today. And hey, Jacob, with that, welcome to the Survival Podcast, man. Thanks, Jack. It's good to be here. So tell people a little bit about yourself, like kind of where you're coming from on this, your your background. Well, you know, I've spent the last uh, six and a half years working with um, with Energy Star and Green Building and uh, helping people fix their 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 energy hog homes. Um, that's a real a real factor for a lot of people, and I find a lot of enjoyment in, in helping people helping people uh, fix those issues. Very cool. So. You, one of the things you're big on is starting out with what you call a comprehensive energy audit. What does what does a person gain by doing that? Well, it, it, comprehensive. And oftentimes you'll hear in uh, you'll hear advertising whatever that uh, you can get a free free energy audit or free this and that from your utility company or from a local insulation company. A lot of times that's just a walkthrough from some guy that uh, is handed a, a checklist and, and and sent sent to the house. But a comprehensive, comprehensive energy audit really covers so many more things. That, you know, a house is a system, and it requires looking at every aspect of the house to be able to ascertain what the issue is with the house. So an, a comprehensive energy audit, I'm in a home for four, five, six hours um, going through every aspect of the house. I'm doing, uh, I'm doing uh, blower door testing, duct, duct blaster testing. I'm crawling all through the attic. Looking at every 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 aspect, looking at whether um, what electrical loads are in the house, um, getting a feel for for the what the what the homeowner's um, uh, lifestyle is too. That's a factor in a lot of cases. So, um, look at the house is a in a well-rounded way where we look at everything. We're not we're not in there trying to sell one thing or another. Um, you know, it's like the old uh, the, the old adage about the, the the contractor with 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 just a hammer. You know, every job looks like a job for a hammer, so. <laughs> yeah, you need a lot of hammer in there. It's like the chiropractor that's never seen anybody with a normal spine. Right, exactly. So you're actually looking for, it's not a matter of what you have, it's a matter of what's missing, what's wrong, what could be done better, uh, what the actual problems with the functionality of the structure are. Yeah, exactly. You know, and there's other things, too, is, you know, when we go through and all that, we take all of our data back, and we... Uh, we do um, what's we do a, a energy model on the home, so we go through and analyze all the info we've, we've gathered, and we go through and figure out you know what what improvements we would suggest and, and what their payback is. Oftentimes it's not what you think. It's not it's not the insulation or it's not the windows or, or what have you. Sometimes it's very simple things. Other times it's not what you'd expect. And so by going through and doing that and that, that analysis, we're able to to fine tune. What uh, what the house really needs to to fix the issues. So, so 
I mean, there's a lot of hype when it comes to like one building or insulation products or in a, over you know another or how. I mean, basically, how does a layperson wade through all this crap like R value, actual R value, effective R value? I mean, where do you start with all that? You know, that's that that's a big problem. You know, the you know you often quote uh, Paul Wheaton on that about uh, oh that's just marketing. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> all the time it's marketing. We see all the time where you say, oh, well, this, this, this type of building or this type of wall system has an effective R value of R50. And uh, that's not the case. R value is R value is R value. You, you, there's, there's nothing around it. I mean, it's like net carbs, right? <laughs> right, exactly. It's like, you know, you can, you can put whatever spin or wording you want on it and, and calculate it however other way you want to. But it comes down to is it is what it is. And uh, and that is wading through that. And I mean, with our value, simple simple thing is is our value is is how a wall system will will slow down the heat or the cold coming through. Plain and simple. So the higher our value, the better. Um, but like I say, you know, you see all the time where you see effective our value, and effective our value means. Um, Marketing R value. <laughs> marketing R value. The R value is X. The marketing R value is Y. And we're going to sell you Y, and and you're going to get X. But the difference won't be that expensive. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I mean, don't, don't you think with all of this that I mean that is the place to start, right? Because if you're people, I want to put in solar panels, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. And I'm like, well, you know, the cheapest way to improve your energy utilization generally is to start out with efficiency, right? Exactly, for sure. Yeah, I walk into houses all the time where they just had a brand new, super high efficiency um, air conditioner put in, and it didn't touch their bills. So it's like, well, you know, if you had me out to begin with, we could have figured out what those issues were before we went down that route, and they've already spent that money on that. Or, you know, we, we go into houses where, you know, they've they spent $3,000 putting a radiant barrier in the attic, and it hasn't touched their bill one bit. But they were sold this great bill of goods that, hey, it's going to save you X number of percent on your bill, and it doesn't. You know, um, there there are good places for for a radiant barrier, but uh, but that's we see it all the time. Why is that on a radiant barrier? I mean, I, you would think that if anything would be a low cost, easy thing, tacking some foil up to the inside of your roof seems like it makes sense. I mean, I guess there's some things with is the house one story or two story and how much roof is really the 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 component that's that's at play there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, the 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 pitch of the roof makes a difference. If it when in a house with a very low pitch, radiant barrier does make a difference. Um in a house that has a big 12 pitch roof and you know, the uh, the peak of the roof is 15 feet off of the ceiling, it really makes very, very little difference. So Plus, you can see me. No, nobody on on the thing can see me. But I got a roof pitch about like that. So it'd probably be just a waste of energy and time for me. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's absolutely. a very steep pitched roof. You'd think this is a northern home to keep snow off it or something as steep as this is. Yeah. So if someone, I mean, because we always hear eventually, I want to go off the grid. I want to go out in a desert and buy land for a dollar an acre, and I want to put in a, a zero net zero grid off grid home and. Where's that person start if that's really what they want to do? Well, where that person should start is is getting 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 in touch with with someone like me. We can go through and take their house plans and work through and do that energy modeling and figure out how much energy are you are you going to be required for that house that you want. And then of course there's the lifestyle aspect that has to be considered for everyone. And you know, off grid living you know is is different than on-grid living for most people. Um, but starting out with with doing an, an, a, an energy analysis of your plan is, is a first step. And, I mean, depending on where it's being built, too, whether that whether you're up in Montana or, or, in, or in Arizona, there's so many factors that, are, that have to be considered, you know, the, your, uh, the way your house faces, all those aspects. And then by taking all those things, we can back up and say, okay, well, does it make more sense to go to an R50 attic insulation, or do we do, do we back it down because the, the cost savings aren't there? We can start looking at those cost savings and say, well, you know, solar's going to cost you X number of dollars per watt. Back that out to to every improvement in the house. You know, do you go with a two foot thick wall with with that full of insulation, or do you back it down to what's reasonable for the area? You know, like uh, down here in Texas. Um, 
the temperature difference in the summer between your walls is 20, 25 degrees. Whereas up north, you know, it's primarily a, a, a heating environment. And the, the difference in temperature is quite a bit more. Um, so down here in Texas, you don't need as much wall insulation as you would, say, you know, in Billings, Montana or, or wherever else. Uh, because the, the temperature difference is so much different, you know, for the, for the main part of the year. Um, so all those things need to be considered. You know, there's, so that's what I'm saying back down here in Texas. You know, if you t- t- take a house and you you know you want to go through and do a ultra efficient uh, ultra efficient wall, where you're doing you know a double stud wall, you've got two studs with a gap in between that's filled full of insulation. So you've got 12 inches of insulation. The payback is not there in, in down here in Texas. Um, there's a, there's whereas you know in the up north there's there's definitely a call for some of that. So, um, but by doing that. By going through and doing the energy modeling, getting all your ducks in a row, you're able to reduce the amount of overall solar that you'll need to make your house net zero or, or close to it, or, or wind or whatever else you're using. So, I mean, how do we deal with things like that in Texas? Because this is what I've always struggled with. I go up north. I mean, I grew up part of my childhood in, in rural Pennsylvania. You want me to build you a house there that doesn't need electricity or needs very little of it or can be supplied with solar, I can do it, and I can put a big screen TV in Open the freaking window in June, close the window in the fall, and freaking fire up the, the wood stove in winter, and any decently built home, maybe you could do it better, but you could at least get by. Certainly. Come down here, they had 90 to 100 days in a row every year, breaching the triple-digit level. Generally speaking, we get a good 60 days without a drop of rain during that period. It's hot as hell. How do you do a home when you have such a big draw? For, I mean, if you look at what people spend money on in the South and their electric bills, I'm sure your audits play this out. The air conditioner is the major energy sink, right? So how do we deal with that? It's definitely a big factor. Um, when you go through a lot of homes, what we end up actually going is, is, is going, to a, going to a foamed attic. So you're enclosing your attic, you're foaming the roof deck and making basically your attic another room in the house. Um, and that's very effective, and you don't need as much insulation there as you would um, in the attic. Because you think about your attic, your attic, can, your attic, a standard attic with fiberglass on the floor, it's going to heat up to 150, 160 degrees. So you've got that insulation trying to keep out that heat. Whereas when you foam that roof deck, the outside temperature is, is 95, 105 degrees. You've got much less heat you're trying to keep out. And so Can you explain what you really mean by Because I'm not quite getting it. So yeah. I've got my attic space, and you're basically we're, we're putting we're foaming the roof and the deck. I mean, how what are you what are you really saying there? Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, you're what you're doing. You're actually foaming the roof. You would pull out all the fiberglass insulation that's that's on the ceiling. So just the just the slope part of the roof is foamed. It's use okay. a, a spray foam. All the attic venting is blocked off. And you're you're going to treat that that just like another room in the house, and you gain some nice conditions for storage in most cases. So we're going to foam the roof, and we're going to foam the floor below the roof. No, actually, you 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 would just oh. you'd leave that uninsulated, and that that's where okay. a lot of a lot of people get tripped up is they'll leave their fiberglass insulation in there in you know in a, in, a, in a retrofit situation, and so you're making this pocket of isolated air which you don't want, you know. So you actually. You actually would leave, you'd pull all that fiberglass insulation out. And so when you walk up the attic, you'd see your 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 roof, your your, your ceiling joists, and you'd see sheetrock. I got you. Yeah. I got you. So I'd see a, a bare floor or maybe some wood there if I put in a, a roof deck to hold some crap I put up there. But the insulation's all at the actual plate between the outside and, and the inside up at the, the, the top of the roof. And then that kind of goes in with something I learned from Steve Harris that, and I, you know, you know this, but you don't only really think about it, that when a house heats up, it heats from the top down. Right. Right. So it's a gradient over time, and the cooler we can keep the roof, the cooler we keep the entire structure. Yeah, exactly. You know, and you, 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 you've talked before about, you know, about uh, that book you read where they talked about putting a sprinkler on the uh, on the roof. That 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 I mean, I, I like to to play with that a bit. That absolutely makes sense. You know, you're. I mean, even the, sh- your, the, the, the shingles themselves, those will still heat up to 150, 60 degrees, even if you have a foam roof. Um, so, yeah, to keep that extra heat out by far, I think that's, that's definitely the way to go for sure. 
Yeah, back in my cable TV days, I spent enough time on roofs in the Texas summer, right? <laughs> yeah, you don't have – and the attics are insane. I mean, you, you're talking about heat where when you have to go access a crawl space in, in July or August, you can't – you feel like you, you can, but you feel like you can't breathe. You feel like your lungs are literally being cooked when you when you take the air in. Absolutely, yeah. It's 140 degrees or whatever up there, and that's rough. Yeah. That's rough, yeah. Yeah, we have to – when we get into attics in the middle of summer, we're, we, we kind of take shifts or we'll – We'll go for 15 minutes and come out and cool off, get some water. Because, yeah, that's a bad deal. So by foaming that, you're taking that whole element out of there. You're, you're, you're taking the insulation where the whole house is now kind of like an igloo. You've got your, your, your insulation, your walls going up. It meets the your, your roof deck, and it goes all the way to the top. So you're fully enclosed. Here's an idea I've had that I've kind of kicked around, and I'd like your thoughts on it. So if you want something that's massively energy inefficient, it's a mobile home, especially an older mobile home. Sure. I mean, if you lose the AC in one of those in a hot day in the summer, it turns into a cooking can. So as I was traveling through rural Texas looking for a new property, I found a lot of properties that had a house, and then they'd have like an old single-wide mobile home that maybe somebody used to live in that they turned into a guest house or whatever. And a lot of these guys, what they ended up doing was basically building a roof over the mobile home. Mm-hmm. And when I first saw that, I'm like, oh, things are leaking, and this was easier than trying to fix the roof, right? right. But then you go inside, and they, they were all pretty bad. They were, you know, 30, 40-year-old, maybe more, and they were there as, you know, like I said, a guest house or a rental house or something. So they weren't in, not in good shape, but you'd walk in, and it's hot as it could be out in Texas summer. They usually have the windows open. A lot of them didn't even have air conditioners. You go in there, and it's not that hot. And between being some brush around there for shade and this secondary roof, basically shading the structure, a lot of that heat was abated. Is there any work that's been done with kind of a double roof model? I mean, I don't know how you make that look good or anything, but that just seems to make sense. And so you have this roof, and then you have an open airspace, and then you have the primary roof. Yeah, so that actually does make sense. Um, I actually have a builder that built a house up here in um, Hawkins, Texas, and that's exactly what she did. She it's a, it had a a metal shed roof over the top, and she built the house underneath. The, the house underneath, you know, is a little more modern looking. It has flat roofs and all. But yeah, I mean, you can go up in there, and there's eight ten feet between that and the roof, and it definitely makes a difference. It keeps that hot radiant energy out, and that's really what you're gaining there. And it can't it can't become a thermal mass right. because it's it's just air. So as soon as so even though you have the intense heat during the day, as soon as that that heat leaves that thin steel roof starts to cool instantly, and that gap in between can't hold heat. It's just moving air. Absolutely. It, 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 I was actually blown away at how effective. They just look like crap. But I'm, I was thinking, <laughs> man, there's got to be a way you could do this and make it look good. Yeah, in fact, I should shoot you some pictures of this house that she did. Because it actually does. It looks really nice. It looks real sharp. But she's actually had it in, in, in a few different uh, national magazines about it. But, yeah, absolutely. You know, if you go up into an attic, um, the sun sets at 6.30, go up in there at 8 o'clock, it's still hot. So all yeah. that wood is holding that energy, um, and absolutely. So, yeah, so to, to to push that heat out and off um, all day definitely makes sense, for sure. So, I mean, one of the reasons I had you on is we had a show where we talked about things like ICFs and SIPs and foam enclosures, et cetera. If we look at it from a new construction standpoint, do you have like a favorite technology, or does each one have its own place, or and, and what are just could you give us some pros and cons on some of the newer building technologies? Yeah, there's there's, there's definitely pros and cons, and, and and oftentimes with 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 those products, that's where you run into the effect of our value and some of those those uh, those claims, and a lot of that comes down to that they'll calculate out you know the efficiency of the building, but they're factoring in air leakage and some of the other aspects that an older home will deal with, you know, a very leaky house. So they'll factor that in. Um, but overall, <clears throat> they definitely have a place. Um, SIPs are nice. I've seen seen great houses with SIPs and poor houses with SIPs. I've, I've tested homes that with a SIP. And for those who don't know, could you, instead of using yeah. the acronyms, could you explain okay. what, they, what they actually are? Yeah, definitely. A SIP is a structurally insulated panel. So you have two sheets of, uh, of, of OSB plywood. And you have six to twelve inches of foam insulation in between there, and so it's a structural panel. And they'll bring those in, and they'll, and they'll you can s- set up a house pretty quick because they'll bring it in an eight foot section of wall in, um, screw it together with a, a panel next to it. Um, and those are definitely a, a good option for for, for homes because you 
you've got an R22 or 15 to 22 or even up to 30 wall that's solid. You don't have you don't have a stud every 16 inches, um, but you you will have a stud every eight feet or 12 feet or depending on the size of the of the um, of the panels. And that's one consideration is you still do have some some areas where you know a stud isn't it, it, a stud is less insulation than you know an, an insulated foam pocket. So um, every one of those you can you can pull out of a house makes difference. Um, with SIPs though, the uh, a lot of care has to be taken into sealing the house. Um, I've done some some air testing on SIP houses where um, the, the the house wasn't any tighter than a, a conventionally built house. It's because they took they didn't take the care to to caulk and and foam every gap and seam in the house. Um, where I've tested others that man, I tell you that was a super tight house and it did it did a great job at doing the do, doing the job. The nice thing about SIPs is you can is the SIPs will come from the factory typically you know on a big on a big uh, this is a semi truck but all everything's cut out all your windows are cut out all your doorways are cut out the uh, the, the 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 framers just have to lean the panels up screw them together you've got a house pretty quick you're underway you've got the you've got the good OSB on both sides so um, the house is up quick and they're really a very structurally sound house right i mean people think it's a foam house so it's it's not as tough as a standard stick built house but i would say they're much tougher as a structure are they not yeah they definitely are um in fact sips oftentimes are used used as as a roof so they can span great distances even um that's that's not that's not a bad place for them as a roof yeah, but it sounds like they're the thing that's is as strong as the proverbial weakest link in the chain. So you can buy the best material in the world, but the installation and the build and the care that goes into that is as important as the material. And I would imagine that if, if it's done wrong, there's a lot of places where it should have been done that it should be done during the construction and going back in and fixing it once it's done is a lot more expensive and time consuming than doing it right from the beginning. Absolutely. Yeah, a couple box of caulk is cheap, but to go back after the house is sheetrocked and paint. Start removing shit and finding where it is, and yeah, when it's all open and you can see it, there's a hole. Fill it up. Right, exactly. It's pretty simple. Yeah. There's a seam there. Caulk the seam. Yeah, I mean, I've been in set houses where you can look in between the panels and you can see daylight out there. So that's not good. <laughs> I've got all this insulation, but then I've got a hole, and it's it, it's you know it, it's basic. Uh, physics from there that hot air and cold air, you know, have a way that they move toward and away from each other, and it's going to pass through that space. Yeah, they're always going to seek seek to be equal, so they're going to, and oftentimes too, through that crack, that's where you'll end up with moisture issues. You'll have condensation, and you'll have mold and other issues. So sealing those mm. things up is vital for sure. Now, what about ICFs? And again, explain exactly what an ICF is as you as you answer that. Yeah, an ICF is a it's an insulated concrete form. So essentially, it's this uh, this uh, two there's it's a there's two pieces of foam on on, on the outside and it, it forms a gap in between um, that has a six eight or up to twelve inch gap and that gap is filled with concrete. So you have you know you'll have a, a, an R10 of insulation on the outside of the house and R10 on the on the inside and you've got that solid that solid concrete middle. Um, those are a, Pretty pretty interesting way to do it. I, the, the few houses I've worked on with those, tell you what, they they did the they they framed their basement out with those, and they poured their basement walls, and that was the most square and inline foundation that I've ever seen. The, the framers loved it because it was perfectly square. It was out maybe a half inch over the course of the whole house, which is and a foundation that's that's like unheard of, you know. Yeah, that's. The dream. So, so that's outstanding. So, in the, and then even here in Texas, there's a builder that I worked with. He actually built a, uh, a, a an underground storm room in his house, and that's what he used on the walls there. And it definitely makes sense. And it, it, you know, the um, the advantage of it too is you've got you've got a you've got you've got a concrete house. I mean, your house it's concrete house, and those do extremely well in high wind situations and tornadoes that kind of thing. Uh, so long as it's Going back to the installation part, so long as it's in installed right and the roof is attached properly and all those other aspects that, you know, all the other all the other links in the chain are, are in place. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like, I think when I go to the one, you know, I go to get some work done on my Ford truck, and they're like, we use genuine Ford parts, and I'm like, I'm more concerned with you using a genuine good mechanic, <laughs> right? I mean, because it doesn't matter if you put the right brake pads on my vehicle. If you put them on wrong and don't bleed the system, I got a problem. Absolutely. So my only issues when I look at insulated concrete forms and I think this would go to the installation and setup being done right, is the last thing you want around you when you're trying to stay cool is heated concrete. Because it just comes out in the evening, once it cools off, it radiates out and kills you. So that that sandwiching of insulation, I guess, has to be done properly, because if that concrete heats up in the middle, when the temperature drops on the outside, it radiates in. And that's great if you're cold and want to be warm, but, I mean, it's you see it all the time in the tropics. People move there. They want this, you know, this thing that looks like an ancient Portuguese castle or whatever that was made from stone and behaves totally different. They build it out of concrete, and then in the evening, it just kills you. So that's got to be a concern. Yeah, for sure. We start getting into thermal mass there. And thermal mass can be your friend, but it also can hurt you. Um, that the, the foam insulation on both sides, you know, that's – the. The, to back up to sec, the ICF forms are kind of like big Lego blocks with with a big hollow core. So you stack them all together, they interlock. Um, but yeah, that's definitely a factor. And the you know you've got the you know they got that foam that's going to slow the heat the heat transfer, but you still have that thermal mass. And thermal mass is great, um, but in the, for the most part, you need a four degree temperature difference to start benefiting from that thermal mass. So your house temperature's got to drop, you know four or five degrees before you start getting the radiant energy back or vice versa from a floor, from a, a stone, a stone, uh, uh, feature, what have you. Um, are there any other technologies that you think are particularly promising or useful when it comes to overall construction technology? Well, I think, I think when it comes down to any of those, including ICFs and, and, and SIPs and, you know, there's, there's also a, a, a type of a structural insulated panel that doesn't have, it does not have um, the, the, the OSB plywood on it, and it uses steel steel studs and other other steel members in it, and that has a factor too. And those are very lightweight. Um, but when it comes down to any of these, is you have to weigh out the cost of those of those of those systems, and oftentimes there's a premium on them. You, you have to compare that, come back and compare that to a standard stick bill or an, an, a, a house that's using advanced advanced framing techniques. Which uses less studs and and uh, and it's just a, just as a strong wall, but you're using um, less studs and all that. And that's where going back to that, uh, going back and having an energy analysis done is helpful. You can go through and, and evaluate. You know, if if using X product is going to cost me 50% more than building a stick frame house, can I build a stick frame house with 10% more cost and have it be just as efficient? And that's something to consider. And is that often the case, depending on certain factors, that you could build what would look like a normal home, but put a 10% premium on it versus a 60% premium on it and get the same results? Very, very often, yes. Yeah. Now, if you, you talk to the, the manufacturer of all those products, they'll, 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 they'll call BS all day. Um, but that's something I can do. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah, no kidding. Huh? <laughs> oh, that's just marketing. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, if you ask a guy that shells Chevrolets what the best car is, he's going to say shells, say a Chevrolet. Uh, you might look out back and he might leave home in a Mercedes, but he's going to say a Chevrolet. Yeah, and, and the next month when he's working out at the Ford dealership, it's Fords and those Chevys, you know. <laughs> yeah, they're all right, but, you know, I used to sell those, and they're a pretty good vehicle, but I'm telling you, what you really want is a Ford. Right. You know, and, and, and you know, that's that's human nature, and that's why I prefer to get a recommendation on a product from somebody who doesn't sell it. Absolutely. Um, somebody that's a user or somebody that is a builder or a designer that uses whatever works, they're going to give you the best opinion on what will work best for you because, frankly, if I'm your architect, I don't give a shit what I build the house out of as long as you get what you want because I'm charging you for building it and designing it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and there's, there's other factors you deal with, too. When you talk going back to the SIPs, um, one fact you deal with there is, is all the waste. You know, you, you have to go through and cut out channels for your wires. So sometimes they have holes, in, you know, cut in there. But then you've got these itty-bitty um, styrofoam balls everywhere, and mm. that's a factor. You know, if you're, you know, that's something I didn't care for in one of the jobs that, was, that, I, was, that I was working on. It was just like, you know, what a mess. And to clean that up is 
impossible. You got and you're trying to be environmentally friendly, and then you've got all this waste. Yeah, and you got all this waste, and that those foam beads, they're not going anywhere. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they they might uh, keep your 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 soil a little bit loose, but uh, that's it. You know. Yes, <laughs> you could do that with them. Use them like perlite or vermiculitis. I guess you could do that. Yeah. Uh, but then again, I don't know that they're made with something I really want to contact with the roots of the food I'm eating. So I. I'm not sure there. Now, what about people like me? So, you know, I would have loved to have found a piece of land and built. It just wasn't in the cards for me. And I bought a place that I just love. My my wife and I look at this place every day and go, there's a lot of work, but God, we love it here. But the house was built in 1979 um, when we were worried about global cooling versus global warming and climate change. And in the green concepts were very, very new, and it was something only granola-chewing hippies did. And in 1979, when you built a house, you got some wood, you framed it up, you built a freaking house. And that was it. Um, looking at the doors, the cabinetry, the stuff that was put in this house in 1979, except for what we've done since we got here and some paint, is still here. Yeah. So... I know I would start with an energy audit, but based on your experience, where would it typically lead with a house that is, you know, 35 years old and built with older technologies? Well, there's there's no doubt that most likely in, your attic insulation is going to be low or minimal. That's that's usually given for that age of a house. But some other things we'd look at is would be how how is your air conditioning duct system laid out? Is it using wall cavities for um, for return or for... Oh, I got some great stuff for you there. Yeah. This looks interesting, people. Okay, so I've got a dual AC system, mm-hmm. right? And every home I've ever had with two stories and two ACs, I got upstairs and downstairs. Not this place. I got an AC that runs half the downstairs, and I got another AC running half the downstairs and the upstairs. The upstairs is just two big rooms. And the part that the other AC is running is merged right into, like, the living area. Now, I'm over the, like, how do I fix this? Because I'm worried that when I have guests up in those two rooms upstairs, they're either going to be awful hot or awful cold, depending on what time of year it is. Yeah, depending on time of year, but also depending on where your thermostat is. Oh, okay, yeah, I forgot that. Okay, so the thermostat for the, the half of the house that's upstairs and downstairs is downstairs on the wall to the stairs going up. And it's about 25 feet away from the other thermostat that runs the downstairs that's where it belongs. So I, I am like, how do I fix that? You've got dueling thermostats and system. Ultimately, yeah, yeah I, I've run into this a few times, and the only solution is move some thermostats and get one system feeding one area, another system feeding another area. To have those competing, you're going to be fighting hot and cold all day. Like say, when you have guests over and you've got your thermostat set just right for downstairs, they're baking upstairs. They still have that radiant heat coming through that attic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, absolutely. It's going to come down to swapping some things around and and uh, and. But you know, it, the fact that it's ran that way, it sounds like there's probably easy access to be able to do some of that. We'll see. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> see, part of the problem is this house was converted. Uh, what is now the laundry room, living room, and master bedroom and bathroom used to be a two-car garage. Oh, okay, yeah. Right, so that's part of that whole conversion. And then we've got these things that look like beams running through the house that are actually the ducts. Oh, okay, yeah. And they really should go up into the floor so that we can take a wall down and make open concept and all. It's going to be fun. Yeah, um, look ahead, yeah. And, I, I, I mean, my thought was I, don't, I really have no idea other than, you know, if you move the thermostat upstairs, then we're going to freeze out this side of the house. Yeah. So, Except you could set it a little higher up there and, you know, who knows? Yeah, you can play with it, but you're probably always going to struggle keeping one area comfortable, you know, because it's... Well, the good news is we're going to rip out a wall, and when we do, we'll have access to the ducts, and maybe at that time we can make that change, because it should be an upstairs-downstairs model. Sure. Yeah, definitely. You know, another factor to your face there is when you've got ducts running in cavities or whatever, and being that they were installed, you know, 35 years ago or whatever... Most likely they're not sealed, so they're going to be leaky. They're going to have loose joints. Um, granted, some of that's leaking in the house, but you're not getting air where you want it. Yeah, you're not getting air to that that hot southeast. I'm bedroom. cooling the ugly beam structure that runs across my roof. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> we, we, we go with the thermal camera. Look at that. You're going to have a really cold pocket that's you know cruising on down the wall. And that's you know. So you're getting. So you have a 
a, a cooling radiator in your ceiling there. So that's helpful, you know. But <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, so that's something that would definitely be worth exploring. And uh, you know, and with those with those conversions of the garages, that's a problem a lot of times because you know because your you, you, your house is a two story, then you have a garage. That's a, a, a single story, right? Is that kind of how it yeah. works? Yeah, 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 exactly. So getting air from there up to the units, that's problematic. Yeah, so yeah, yeah it would be interesting to, it'd be interesting to put some, some quality of time in your, your attic and house and figure out what's, what steps would be, would be best, you know, for sure. Because, um, yeah, that's a, that's a tricky deal. And sometimes it's, you know, if you're getting into some walls, that sometimes makes it a little easier. <laughs> Well, and what scares me is how easy it's been to keep the place warm in the in the winter, and it's been really great, and we hardly use the heater at all, and it seems awesome, and then you're going, man, I don't know if I'm up, and it's either that just the house, I, I what I do love is the huge steep roof pit pitch, mm-hmm. that seems to help out, if you look at all the old houses before AC, they all had that, that's that's useful in some way, so we'll see. Um I don't want to make this into a Jack Spirico consultation here because it has to benefit everybody. But I just thought I'd bring that up because I think that's a, a problem people would see. One thought I had was maybe cooling these two rooms with a ductless standalone system. Absolutely. And then just shutting it off and just using that. Move the thermostat upstairs and only do that because the rest of that, the, the unit that's downstairs is huge. It could handle probably the whole house if it was set up to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the, those, those, the little. Ductless mini splits are great. They do a they do a great job, and if you know, just depending if you like the aesthetics, there are some that are sunk in. You, you don't see them like on the wall, you know. Yeah. But, uh, but that's definitely. Both these rooms have outside walls, so it seems like it would be pretty easy and a part of the house no one would ever look at, really. So. Yeah, sure. And that's that's not a bad setup at all. You know, you, you talk about your duct size, your system size. That's one of the big factors that we see in older homes. Is you'll is we'll is we'll, we'll go into a house that was built you know in the late seventies like that they've had their AC replaced once they they used to have a three and a half ton that was failing to do the job so they'll come in and put a five ton in and too much air is a problem in in, in house especially down here in Texas because you get if you have too much air conditioning in you know an air conditioner's got to run for fifteen twenty minutes well twelve fifteen minutes before it hits peak efficiency. So if, it, if the unit's too big, it's going to run for five minutes. So instead mm. of hitting that that curve, you're halfway up, and instead of being you know 14 sear, you're sitting at six sear. So you're costing you more energy. You're cooling the house great, but the system's not running long enough. Another factor you deal with that is is that because it's not hitting that 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 peak efficiency, it's not dehumidifying the house well. So you actually can start creating moisture issues in the house because you're not pulling out that moisture. Uh, well, and you're pretty comfortable at 75 and dry, and you're pretty miserable at 75 and humid. Absolutely. And there's a comfort factor, factor there as well. I mean, you know, you can tell me that it's, it's, it's cooler in, in, in Florida in some areas on the, you know, near the coast than it is here in Texas, but I think of Pennsylvania, and I remember in the summers it was like 88 degrees, but the humidity was like 85%. And I'll take 100 with, with low humidity over that any freaking day. That's like walking around with a trash bag. So humidity starts to affect comfort right away. Absolutely, yeah. yeah so, so what are your thoughts on, like, earth contact structures, earth ships, the monolithic dome type thing? Anything that it seems to make an earth contact generally seems to do a lot of this heating and cooling on its own. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, you think about, you know, I grew up, I grew up in Utah and we had basements. And that was the best. So a nice, warm, high, hot day, you went down to the basement, you know. That's where you hung out. You got that, that, nice, that nice constant temperature of the earth, and you can pump as much heat in the earth, and it's going to take a lot to heat it up. There's a, there's a whole lot of earth there to suck up that heat. So absolutely, I think those definitely have a place. They don't, they don't have a place, I think, for a lot of people because a lot of people either have a spouse that will be, is unwilling to go that route or, um, or you know, they're, they're set on living in, in – in rural Dallas or Atlanta or something, and they don't, they can't get get past doing that. But I think it definitely has a place. Um, I think you know you can have a a house inside that feels very modern and normal and what we consider normal as a society. Um, but yet outside, yeah, you, it's burned up or you've got uh, you know the other thing. You know, um, and we we in the South should be the last people bitching about that because. 
That would make tornadoes, well, well, there's a tornado this week, like there was last week. I hope it doesn't hit here, but I'm not really worried about it if it does. Whereas what we usually deal with down here is, ah, crap, not again. I mean, we're looking at putting in, because there's just no way to do really a good underground structure here for a shelter, one of the steel-reinforced F5-rated tornado shelters in our garage that's bolted and welded to the concrete, because I've got, like, you know, a foot and a half of topsoil and then solid white rock underneath us. So going down would be very expensive. But, I mean, that's a fear. If I had a piece of property I was building on that I could berm up and, and, and go down in, it would be one of the first things I would do here, not just for energy efficiency, but for structural safety. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I think, too, and then you actually have some interesting, uh, interesting topography to plant and other things you could do with that. I mean, about berming up around a house. Yeah, there's all kinds of things. And yeah, that, that, even if you only bermed up a few feet, that's going to make a difference. There's going to be a natural heat sink that's going to pull. pull back. You know, that's that's interesting. I think a lot of people think you got to go underground. Like my my house I had for three years in Pennsylvania was a split level house. Mm-hmm. The front side of the downstairs maybe was, I'd say, you, you had windows that were up near the ceiling and a little bit down, so you were looking at maybe five feet up the wall, covered, and then it sloped down to the rear, and the back side actually wasn't covered at all. When you walked out the back porch, you were at ground level, because yeah. it was on a slope, and they built it into the slope. That downstairs, I don't care when it got up in the high 90s, was comfortable with, and we all we had were two space unit air conditioners upstairs. You could go downstairs any time of day in the middle of the summer, and you were comfortable. And so I don't think it has to be an all or nothing. Right. And I think that's something we don't do in the South, and I, I just don't get it. And it'd be, it'd be nothing to do. And a lot of people are concerned about moisture, and moisture is easy to deal with. I mean, you put the plant in place up front, you're not going to fight that. You know, there are areas where you fight moist and hot or moist and wet basements. Yeah. That doesn't have to be... Yeah, don't tell me about moisture in Dallas if you can put a, a, a basement in in freaking Vermont. Right. Right? Yeah. Where you can't even camp in a tent without the rain fly because every night the dewdrop soaks your tent. If they can do it, we can do it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it definitely has a place. That's one of the plans on our next house is to implement some... We, I'm, I'm bound, to, bound to determine to put in a basement out here. I'm out in East Tech. I'm out in out in Smith County in East Texas, and we have very sandy soil. We're not dealing with the black. What's that near? Like, like in, 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 Tyler, Lovekin? In, in the Tyler area. Tyler area. Yeah. yeah it should, well, at least you can dig it. Well, I mean. you can dig. Yeah, we're not, we're not hitting. <laughs> we, don't have to, we don't have to bring in the, 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 the demolition crew to put, put a two-foot hole in the ground. So. Yeah, you won't need blasting permits to put in a basement there. Absolutely. That's, that's good to know. I mean, my, if you, I know you listen to the show. I, I mentioned on there, my neighbor that lives just behind me, he has an in-ground pool, and he said they brought in two huge excavators and worked on it. This is back in 1970 uh, for about a week, and they finally gave up and got a blasting permit and blasted <laughs> a hole out. Um, so, but the good news here. Is everybody has foundation problems in North Texas? Mm-hmm. I have this house was built in seventy nine. There ain't a crack in the foundation. There ain't a crack in a wall. Every this place ain't going freaking. If this goes, it's because you got one of those things where the limestone gets eaten eaten out, and you get a sinkhole, and the whole thing's going. Yeah, this foundation won't move, and that. So there's always trade offs there. It would be interesting to do an earth contact structure out here because once you set the 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 home down onto that slab of limestone down there and then burned it up, you would get an incredible heat sink there. Oh, absolutely. For sure. It would work beautifully. It's, it's a matter of... So I'd, I'd like to actually ask your opinion of this. How much of what could be done is held up by regulations, red tape, building codes, and things like that? That's absolutely definitely a factor. Um, and a lot of time, it's not because the code won't allow you to do it. It's because... Um, the guy in the billing department doesn't is unwilling to read the code or is unwilling to do anything beyond what he knows. So you fight some of that too. Or you fight an individual rather than the code. Um, but the code is definitely an issue here in Texas. You know, there's there's a code in place even out in the rural area, but it's not enforced. So it, it gives you the ability to kind of do things beyond the pale. Now that's fine until you go to sell your house. You know, and then you're fighting. Well, you know. So you still there's still kind of a catch twenty two. If you're going to be in the home, great, you know, and that's something to consider too. I mean, there's a chance of moving down the road, 
putting time and money into some of these these kind of structures maybe or maybe there might be risk there for you. You know. Yeah, because um, I mean that is another side that we found out when we were looking for properties. We found, and it was incredibly well built. It was everything in the kitchen. With I mean, if you wanted to build a kitchen, it would be fifty grand. Um, huge geodesic dome structure. Every thought went into it, and one of the things that made it energy efficient was they had designed it without removing all of the trees and vegetations around it. So basically, the house was shaded all summer long, and it, they were all deciduous trees, so it was hit with with sun in the time that it needed most. It was oriented right. We looked at it. It was higher than we wanted to spend, but it had seven acres. It was like 250 grand, and we're like, I can't believe this house is 250 grand. And maybe we could negotiate and all. And then we tried to get financing. Right, And then none of the appraisers will appraise it comparable to anything else because none of the other houses that sold in a neighborhood are round. Right. So I imagine the same thing is true with earth shifts. And it, that's why I think people gravitate toward things like SIPs and ICFs is because when the house is done, it's a freaking house. It looks like a normal house. So you have both the regulation getting in the way, but then if I'm building a house, I need to, you know, we always talk about our leaders need an exit strategy when they go to the Middle East. Well, when you buy or build a freaking house, you need an exit strategy. You might need to sell it someday. And that also, it's not just about whether or not it's legal or what the inspector is going to say, but can you get financing for it? Can you get it appraised? Um, another one we learned about, this is not directly related, but it just kind of falls in here is everybody wants an ag exemption. Get an ag exemption, pay no taxes. Yeah, and then you cut the number of people qualified to buy your home by like 80% because you need an ag loan to buy an ag property. You can't get an FHA or a VA or a conventional loan to buy an ag uh, zone property. There's all types of crap the government causes. Absolutely, and on the, on the ag exemption, that's definitely a factor. And what we've seen um, some folks do in this area is, they'll, is they will actually – Divide out a half acre or whatever for the house, and and then ag exempt the, the rest of their property so that they can kind of skip dealing with some of that issue. Um, it's not a perfect solution, obviously. You know, there's there's issues with the system overall that we're fighting there, but uh, but that's been some interesting that some people have done in this area that was it worked pretty well. Very cool. So, hey, I mean, this isn't all you do either, though, man. You, you have a website called uh, Our Providing Life uh, that's on Blogspot. So it's ourprovidinglife.blogspot.com. And you uh, mentioned to me in your show notes that you guys actually have a Mason Bee Partner Program. You give away free Mason Bees? Well, yeah, what we do, um, <clears throat> I just started getting that rolling this year. And essentially what it is is it's a it's a program to 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 – Increase the overall population of mason bees. Mason bees, if you don't know, they're a uh, they are a, a they're an outstanding pollinator, but they um, they don't they don't live in a colony like honeybees do. They actually live in uh, they, they they're a solitary bee, and um, but these these little bees are outstanding pollinators, uh, especially when they're combined with honeybees in a, in, in orchards and what have you, and they do such an outstanding job. Um, but their numbers are pretty small, and they deal with a lot of pests and other concerns that that really affect their numbers. Um, and so, what what we've what we've we're setting up here is is a program where we can where we can we can get we we set up these these bee partners that will help us raise bees for for a few months a year. That the homeowners get all the benefit of the pollination and like that. But they don't have to deal with going through and sorting out cocoons and cleaning up their their stuff. We take all that back, process it, and then the next spring we 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 put those those bees back out. So it's a it's a great it's a great partnership where we both win. And then we can take those excess bees um, and give them over to a neighbor or so someone else in the area and and build up those those local populations. Because yeah, if you give me twenty bees and I set them up with little mason bee tubes and all. At the end of the season, when they've walled up their mud tubes and their babies are in there, you, I might have 80 bees out of that one little structure or more. Yeah. And so you come get those, you clean them out, you throw out the, the wasps that get in there or what have you, and then you keep them dormant and then deliver them when it's time for them to emerge. That's what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so then, you know, going back next year, you may not need, you know, a full 80 bees might be more than your, your yard can, can handle. 
So then we'll we'll, we'll take a portion of those off and, and move them over. Eventually, once we get those pollinations or those populations large enough, we can take a lot of those regional populations and take them over to the the, the peach orchards and the other orchards in the area and use them for, for pollination and use those in, in conjunction with honeybees um, for better overall better overall crops. Um, and I think one of the cool things, that, and when everybody hears bees, they think of getting stung. I I have every year in my garden tons of these little guys. They see them show up. They really like the cucumbers, it seems, more than anything else. They're all in there. I have never been stung by a mason bee. I've even messed with them a little bit to see if I can get I'm like, if it stings me, it ain't going to be that big deal. So I've kind of poked them a little bit. Now, I've never grabbed one and shook it up. Mm-hmm. And I think if you do that and get stung, I don't even know if they can or can't. But if you get stung like that, you deserve it. Yeah. But I can't even provoke one of these things. They just kind of fly away like, dude, leave me alone. I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of your flowers, dude. Why are you poking me? So they're a bee that I've, I've never met anybody stung by a mason bee. You know, I know of, of one guy who's been stung, and that's uh, that's um um, Dave Hunter over at Crown Bees, and he 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 was stung twice. Um, he was handling a whole bunch that had already been immersed in like a bucket, and he was, he was scooping them out to handle. He got stung twice, and he was so excited about it, he ran to get his to camera from his car. By the time he got there, the wet was gone. It's less uh. than a mosquito bit by. In fact, I've got pictures of my kids holding these bees um, yeah. on their finger, you know, absolutely most gentle you can put your hand over their nesting holes and they'll come land on your hand might bump into your hand but they will not even there's there's no no concern that's another thing nice about you know you can have these bees in your yard around your kids and everybody else and have no concern of being stung or even if you're allergic to stings so that's not a factor like you really like you say you really have to mess with one to to get it to sting. yeah yeah, so you're doing this in your area, mostly in your re- kind of a, a small area, and you want to make it a little bit more regional. So it doesn't sound like it's like a national program or anything like that. So I'm sure this is something that you would maybe encourage other people that have the means to replicate. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a, th- th- this, this program is actually um, modeled after model after program that's in place up in Washington. And uh, we're doing it right now. We're doing it in the East Texas area, um, the south southeast corner of Oklahoma, south west corner of arkansas and also the 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 northwest corner of louisiana also have some pockets in utah that we're working on too some family out there that are helping me with that um but yeah we're definitely looking to expand it there are other programs out there um that are in place and you know i really kind of played with doing a a mail system where mailing bees out and back and forth um and that's something i i need to work on a little bit because there's so much more cost involved there it'd have to be maybe a deposit for the first year or two kind of a thing to work that out. Yeah, sure, sure. And then they, they, there has to be a little bit of specialized knowledge then on the, the recipient's end to know how to send them back. Right, yeah. And so if we could, if we, if we could get, um, you know, a group of people in an area, you know, you get five or ten families in there who, who are really interested in it, I'd love to talk to them because we could have a central person. We could ship one, one shipment in and one shipment back. You know, yeah. have one central person to be kind of a, a neighborhood coordinator. That would be the way to do it. If you could get like a whole community of people, you have 20 people in a neighborhood or a couple neighborhoods and one, you know, Danny is the, the bee guy. And, and when you're done with your bee thing for the year, you take it to Danny and he packages it all up and sends it back. That, that would be a great way to branch out. On, on another note, though, you kind of mentioned the areas you're doing that in right now. I imagine that like, you know, you're available for consultations and, and builds and things like that. So kind of what is the area that you work in for doing that type of work? I pretty much handle kind of almost that, that, that same pocket of area. Um, though we, we, we've definitely been, been hired out to, to, to travel out to, to remote areas. And you know, I've dealt with, you know, um, large and small properties from one end to the other, you know, um, you know, and so that's the thing is, you know, we, you know, Really, for the right price, I'll go anywhere. <laughs> when it comes to the, you know, energy stuff, you know, I worked on multi-million-dollar houses. Uh, I worked one time on an eighteen thousand square foot house, you know, and so we work on the full range of things that way, and you know, um, but the mainly my my day-to-day area is Dallas, Dallas out to Shreveport, south down to you know even as far as Houston for the right job, and then up into the to the bottom end of Oklahoma. Um, but you know, okay. for, the, for the the right job, you know, you're you're a little further out than I would go. But that's one thing that I thought about doing was touching basically the before we had this interview and actually coming out and doing an audit on your your place there um, to give you an idea what what's what's going on there. But. Cool, cool. Well, if people do want to get in touch with you to talk to you about consulting, is there a best way they can do that? 
Yeah, probably the best way um, <clears throat> is, uh, is 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 probably my probably my, my, my direct email, um, and that's uh, that's uh, Jacob Nielsen N I E L S O N at gmail dot com. I have some articles written kind of along the energy thing and a handful to go um, on our blog. There, it's uh, is ourproventlife.blogspot.com where my wife and I we we uh, we we we. we as a way, it's been a lot of recipes, but we talk a lot about, you know, things we're doing in our own lives as far as gardening and health and 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 all those kind of things um, in our own our own our own our own specific sphere there. So very cool, man. Well, I appreciate you being here today. I'll uh, I'll include a link to your blog in the uh, show notes when we publish the show tomorrow morning. And uh, again, Jacob, thanks for being with us today, and thanks for being a very informative guest. Thanks, Jack. I, I really appreciate. It. I've been I've actually been a listener since probably. But looking back, I think it was episode 27, 28. So I've been around for, for a long time. and I, I uh, You're one of the original, like, 15 people that gave a <laughs> shit, and that's cool, man. I really, really <laughs> appreciate the show. It brings the nice thing about the show is, you know, it, it brings, it, 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 it's, it's kind of grounding. You know, you can get these wild ideas and want to go off into the ether of doing these amazing things, but, you know, you're, you're, you're really grounding for a lot of people, I think, to say well hey let's let's back up and let's take you some small steps and get there you know wisely and not uh, not crazy so i appreciate what you've done well i appreciate you as well and again thanks for being here today and folks with that this has been jack spearfoot today along with jacob nielsen helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't sometimes we forget we are what we I don't know the answer It's like there's nothing I can do It's the price we pay I guess we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way Shut is